All right. How are we doing, 1115? There we go. Look at that. Let me order my notes. They're out of order from nine. I Usually I reshuffle them. Talk about amongst yourselves. I'm kidding. Man, I tell you what, I have loved this series. Um, just the, you know, I said last week that, you know, the, the idea of playlists, these uh, psalms from the heart, really is about how God has been so faithful to place um, such a tone-setting book in the Bible that would, would lead us uh, away from what we think might save us and, and draw our hearts upward towards him. And the, the Psalms do that in such a, a human way, but in such a divine way, because these are the, the words of a, you know, a broken human being inspired by the Holy Spirit that we might be able to grab a hold of these things in the future. And a playlist is one of those things that we use to set the tone of our own heart. And I love Psalm 139 for, for, for this reason, is that depending on the season of life you're in, it really can change the way that you read it. There's so many um, kind of moments and quotable moments in Psalm 139 all through it. You could separate them into different sermon series. Um, but in totality, uh, it hit me in the last couple of weeks that this almost presents like a letter from a, from a, a son to a perfect father, a father that's done done everything right. And it's David bringing a song to the people, but really a personal song of him expressing exactly what it is that he feels when it comes to his relationship with God. And as I was thinking about this whole father-son relationship or parent-child relationship, this really hit me differently because I'm in a season in life where my kids are, um, are really on the way out, hopefully. Um, I'm kidding. I'm joking. But they are. They're, they're older. Like my son's 22. Uh, two of them in college and, and one is a senior in high school. My daughter's moving out this week, which is sad, um, but awesome. And I mean, it's just one of those things. It is. It's one of those things like that you're not going to have them in the house anymore. It's just a, a strange thing. Room after room after room is going to be empty. And I just thought about the early days of like the, the transition and what we might, you might not think if, if any of you are young parents in here or those that are in my season of life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At about, about age 13, 12, 13 is really when you're, when you're really done. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. It's not me being cynical. It's just like, they're not going to listen to you anymore. I mean, you're shepherding them. You're not, the, the relationship's not vertical where you're, where you're in their life in that kind of way. And you're, you're literally telling them what to do. At 13, you're just hoping, right? You're just going, they're not, they're, this is the point at which they're beginning to be released into the wild, whether you like it or not. Now, I've said this to some parents that have those nine and 10-year-olds. They're like, they will always love me. They will always listen. We are this type of family, and this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, okay, wait a year. Um, it changes. Hormones change. They change, and they begin to get to that place. And it's crazy because from 13 to the age of my kids, 22, they still haven't fully developed their brain yet. Like, it's, it's still there. It's still, like, my, my oldest son's 22. He's got three more years. They say your frontal lobe, 25. So, come on. Brain's not even developed, but you're releasing them into the wild, into just life. And they realize Year after year, as they get older, they're going to go through their 20s, they're going to go through their 30s, and they're going to realize what many of you have realized. If you live long enough, there's a problem down here. There's a redemption problem down here. There's a sin problem down here. It is evident. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, we know the penalty of sin has been paid for, but the power of sin still exists, 
And it's evident as we look across the globe, as we watch the news, as we even experience in our own family here at Ocean City Church, the pain of being sinned against, the pain of the brokenness of disease, and the pain of our own sin and our own mistakes. And as you grow older, you realize out on planet Earth that in many ways, you're spending a lot of time without the protection of your parents. It just, it's, it's gone at that point. In fact, 85% of your life is outside of the protection and the guidance and the movement and the presence of a father. Even if you had the best father, that is best case scenario, 85% of your life, you're living independently. You're living out of that zone. Now that's the best case scenario. Many of you are at an early age where parents to your parents, like your parent just wasn't a good parent or you were missing a father in the household or you're missing a mother in the household. Maybe it was because of death. Maybe it was because of abandonment. So we can even scale that back. Maybe 90% of your life, you're living without the headship, the direction, the movement and the presence, the loving presence of a father or a parent in your life. It's interesting that we, we see that as a normal thing. I mean, even looking at the, somebody that maybe was an orphan their entire life, I did a, a, just a brief amount of research on, on orphans and the mentality that orphans have. Because when I read Psalm 139, what, I, what I'm reading is somebody that definitely doesn't have an orphan mentality anymore because of a loving father that has been present in their life. And David wants to talk about it and he wants everyone to sing about it. But when you, when you hear about an actual orphan I read this article about a, a psycho social psychologist who's a doctor, and she, she adopted a girl from Ukraine at age seven, and she had these dreams of, okay, they're an orphan now, and she knew everything about the, the characteristics of an orphan. And she's like, what an amazing thing that I get to be a part of that healing journey. I'm gonna have this beautiful daughter, and she'll no longer be an orphan, and now she's going to be adopted. But the problem was, even day one, when they're getting ready to bring her home in the Ukraine, she ran away because she thought, I'm being kidnapped. She didn't even understand what adoption was. And then many, many, many years later, this mother interviewed her daughter as a subject, just as a, an interesting play and wrote this article. It is fascinating because she's now in her, the daughter's like late 20s and completely changed, but said, my perspective was, even though I was no longer an orphan, I acted like an orphan. I, I, I lived life with an orphan mentality. I didn't trust anybody. My heart had been so broken by my parents. And then I was so abused for the next few years in an orphanage. I didn't trust anyone, even my own adoptive parents, even though their intentions were good. It took a long time for me to get to the point where that orphan mentality was set to the side. And I realized I truly was a daughter. Now, what's true of you and me is the intention for us was never to spend 85 to 90% of our lives completely and totally independent as independent operators that have been released into the wild. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the intention was never to be released into the wild. But sin entered the story and made every single one of us orphans. Every single one of us. And then we become, many of us in the room, have gloriously been saved and have given our lives to Jesus, which is amazing. But the reality is, is even though we're in a new family, many of us still live in an orphan mentality. I'll just read just the, the actual 
orphan, like some of the things that happens to orphans and, and the orphan mentality from, from the, the social psychology article, that orphans are self-reliant. That is one of the things that they don't rely on people, they rely on themselves. Orphans don't want to be alone, yet orphans choose to be alone. There's this kind of dichotomy with them. Orphans thrive on the pecking order and where they are in it. They want to know what the rules are and how do I fit in? How do I get in my place, right? Orphans align themselves with people out of need, not love, often to their detriment. Orphans work for value. Orphans are very jealous of other successes. Orphans are desperate for approval. And orphans compromise what's right to be chosen. I thought those were interesting because maybe, you, maybe you're thinking, gosh, that's, that's so sad. But I read those and thought, wow. Because I often live on planet earth, even as somebody that's given my life to Jesus, as somebody that loves to be self-reliant and likes to push people away and say, oh, I, I can do this on my own. In fact, we've said that many times in this series when Mike preached, I mean, the title of his talk, I can do this myself. Orphans don't want to be alone, yet they choose to be alone. I mean, I can put myself in that category many times. Orphans thrive on the pecking order and where they are in it. I mean, that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've done that. We walk into every room subconsciously or consciously wondering where we fit in. I mean, imagine middle school, high school students. They walk off across the threshold of Fletcher High School or Ponte Vedra, and immediately you're trying to figure out where do I fit in? How can I keep my head low and not get shot, right? You know, how do I not be the, the, the target of bullying or the person that people think is weird? How do I find my group and my crew? And we continue to do that in life. Every job, every door we walk in, group of friends, we do it at church. Which city group are you in? I'm in, the, I'm in the good city group, right? Pecking order. We all do it. We align ourselves definitely out of need with people and not love in our brokenness and trying to advance ourselves. I mean, we all work for value, right? My work makes me, make, makes me valuable. Being jealous of other successes, I've never done that, ever, right? Desperate for approval, everyone. Orphans will compromise what's right to be chosen. Every, everybody's done that. Stepped into something that feels a little bit wrong and icky just so that you could be accepted by a group of people. Why is that, that, that so many of us carry that same orphan mentality? Well, the Apostle Paul would say, Unfortunately, we have that. Even as followers of Jesus, he was trying to convince the churches in the New Testament of, of what they had been given in Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, he used those terms. In Christ, it's changed. You, you are a new creation. You have a new, new identity. You have a new set of clothing. You have a new exterior. You have a new way of acting because he was trying to convince them what? That they were no longer orphans, but they were children of God. He says in Galatians chapter four, he says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. Why did he redeem us? That we might receive adoption. So you are no longer a slave or no longer what? An orphan, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. He says it in Romans. He says it in Ephesians. He says it over and over again in the epistles to every church because it's a common 
problem on planet earth because you were never meant to be fully released into the wild outside of the protection of God. Parents, yes, please, for the love of St. Christopher, release your children to the wild. But God, under the protection of... Y'all didn't even think that was funny. Everybody roared at nine. They're like, <laughs> kick them out of the house. You know, they were all crazy about it. I don't know. Y'all must love all your children as much as I do. Goodness gracious. So David, in Psalm 139, is, is, is speaking over us. He wants the church to sing this letter. That he, that, he, that he writes to his father because he wants you to understand that you've received these things as well. That this is who God is to him and it's who God is to you. So in Psalm 139 and verse one, David's kind of amplifying that you're no longer orphans, orphans by saying, you have searched me, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out Am I lying down? You are familiar with all my ways. For your word is on my tongue. Before, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind before you lay a hand upon me. You hem me in from behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David was blown away. Title of the track for our playlist this week is Some Kind of Wonderful, Grand Funk Railroad. And if any of y'all know Grand Funk, you're in, my, you're in my generation or a little older than me, which is awesome. Everybody's looking at Grand Funk Railroad. I've never heard of this. My kids don't know that song. Some Kind of Wonderful. What David is saying here, and he's got multiple things that he's displaying in this, in this psalm as he's saying so many wonderful things about how, how much God knows is number one, that I'm fully known because orphans aren't, aren't known. Orphans are a number, but he's saying that's not true about you and that wasn't true about me. I am fully known. I mean, you think about as, as parents, we, we, it's, I mean, the, the best example when I read that passage is we think that we're hidden, right? We think that we're not known. We think that we can in some way find our way, you know, not around, you know, our parent, but they see us. In fact, in the early days, you know, when we're thinking about our kids, I mean, the difference between maybe an earthly parent and a godly parent or our godly father, um, parents in the early day, like we, we're sent home with our kids and it's, especially your first one, it's shocking. Like you go in with two people, into the hospital and you come out with three and you're like, I mean, you just like, you get the handed the, the little, the little cart and you want all the nurses to come with you. You're like, can y'all come to the house and hang out with us? Um, and then you get home and you're freaked out. And I'm not a freak out person, but I remember, you know, when, when Jack was born I, I, at night, you're just like, and when you have the, like, there's a season where the bassinets in the, in the room with you. Um, for some of y'all, your kid's a teenager. It's time for him to get out of there. Um, <laughs> There you go. And you got the bassinet and you've got it in there. And there's, uh, there's some things that it's like at the middle of the night, they're, they're waking up every couple of hours. And then all of a sudden you put them in the room. Ours was, do you remember how far away that room was? I mean, I think we slept through every time he cried. Um, <laughs> but, but we, 
you, that, that, those first, that, those first, that first season, what are you doing? You're getting up. I mean, I, I would get up. I'd be like, I'd lay in bed and I'm thinking, because I was used to having them right there. Yeah, I could hear him. I'd poke my head around. Yeah, he's so cute. Looks like his dad. And you could look at him. And then you're like laying in bed and they're not in there. What are you going to do? I'm checking. I'm going to go look. See if they're breathing. Are they breathing? I'd bring a mirror in there. Breathing, honey. He's breathing. He's good. He's solid. And do it over and over again. We, we are involved. We know them. We know everything about them. We know more about them than they know about themselves. They're just doing their thing. They don't know anything. And then they're growing up. And we're doing all, we are the hymns and the hedges as parents. We're moving around them. We're, we're, we're teaching them everything that they need to know. And just like scripture says, we should, as they walk along the road, teach them about Jesus. When they wake up, teach them about Jesus. When they go to bed, teach them about Jesus, the goodness of God, how he's a redeemer, how, what the, the amazing things he's done in the past and what glorious future we have. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. So we talk about during child dedication. But eventually, they're gonna get to that age. They're gonna get older and they're gonna begin to what? They're gonna resist. They're gonna try to be independent. They're gonna hit that 11, 12, 13 years old and all of a sudden, what? They, don't, they, they, don't, they, they no longer understand, or they no longer, you no longer understand who they are, right? And they don't, they don't display to you who they are. And that, that next season of life is hard as a parent because you're, you're kind of mourning the loss of that child that was, and now you've got this crazy teenager that's in your household. And more and more, they're being released into the world um, and going to grab hold of because of sin, outside of Jesus, an orphan mentality. They're going to they're gonna work for their approval. They're going to look at their friends for approval. They're going to try to find the right group. And where can they find belonging in life? I mean, how many of us would say that our mom knows us better than we know ourselves? Not many of us. Not once we're grown. We have thoughts that our parents don't understand. But David's saying... That's not God. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's, he's so intimate with you. And intimacy for us is primal. And David's saying, this is what I have with God. This is the type of relationship that I have with God because he knows me. What I can share with him and, and how I experience God is an intimate relationship. He was displaying to the people of Israel and displaying to the leadership of Israel. I want you, like there's, we see that sometimes as religion. Like here's the things that the priests had to do. These are the things that the soldiers had to do. This is the people outside the kingdom. This is what they had to do outside the tabernacle. They do all these things. It feels like religion. But David constantly was banging the drum of this is a relationship with a father. It is not about a religion. It's about a relationship with someone. And he's putting it on display. But intimacy is one of those things that we struggle with. In fact, in our current culture, it's harder than ever before. You would think that with technology communicating across the globe, we, we would communicate and be more intimate with other humans than we've ever been. And we're the least intimate than we've ever been. And it's something that affects our health physically, mentally, and socially in relationships. But there's a reason, because we, we push intimacy away as orphans. Intimacy is scary. Psychology Today says, few human endeavors are as rewarding or as frightening as human intimacy. Isn't that interesting? As rewarding or as frightening? And when I read that, I got to ask the question, why? 
Well, the reason is in human relationships, we always want to know before we engage in a relationship, what? And tell somebody everything. Show them our heart. Be honest with them. Say, these are the raw, here's the, here's the mistakes that I've made. Here's the imperfections that I have. Here's the rawness of, here's my insecurities. This is why I'm being irrational. Is that person safe? Before we say any of those type of things to anybody, to, to, to the average person, what are we going to do? We're going to create a veneer that we show the rest of the world. We're going to, this, these are the things that I can say to, and that's normal. That's not a, don't be telling everybody everything. Find a group, <laughs> you know, everybody don't want to hear everything. But I'm saying the reason that we, we don't is because we're waiting to find that person that's going to be safe. The reason the orphan doesn't do it is, hey, I've been crushed before. I've laid my heart out there and it's been broken. And David's saying, that's not your heavenly father. This isn't how he operates. He's not going to, he's not coming to judge you. He's not coming to condemn those mistakes. He's not coming to unearth those things and show them to the world and say, look how bad they were. It says in the gospel of John, what? That Jesus did not come to condemn. God did not send his son to planet earth to condemn the world, but to save the world. To save the world, to rescue and redeem. That's the type of fully known father. He knows everything. He understands me. He knows all the things that I'm thinking, all the brokenness. He knows if I'm struggling in school. He knows if I'm struggling in friendships. He knows if I'm hurt, if I'm sad, if I'm bored. He knows what, what my lacks are. He knows how I feel about my earthly dad. He gets me. Doesn't mean that he approves of all of the ways that I th- I'm thinking, but he knows my thoughts and he gets me. He knows my secret depression, my anxiety, my deep beliefs. He knows, he knows me better than anybody else. He understands me. He gets me. I mean, I thought about this. If there's anything in, in human frustration that finds its way to the top of the scale in, in, in my life is, is being misunderstood. Like the times I've been up at night thinking, man, the things that I said, the things that I did in my friendships and my relationships, I'm thinking, gosh, I just feel very misunderstood. I didn't say all that I needed to say. It was, it was incomplete or it came out wrong or maybe it's just something that I think maybe somebody perceives something about me. And I was going through that season of, of chronic pain at its highest level where I was just walking through depression, anxious about every doctor's visit. I mean, I was wondering, does everybody think I'm a little bit crazy? Like they just don't, they can't get in my body. They can't understand what's in you. You have people on two spectrums. One, I don't want to be around. Like, hey, it's great. He's, I don't know that he's really, you know, just stop thinking about it. It'll be better. And then there's the people that want to fix it all. Like, hey, I just want to fix it all. Oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? I went on the internet and found all kinds of solutions to your problem. I was like, great. I haven't done that. Um, you, you have all kinds of people, you know, the people that, and you're thankful for them, the prayer warriors that say, hey, I know what you should do. Hey, God, God loves to heal and restore. We're going to go to a prayer meeting every hour on the hour for this entire day. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to go there and you're going to get healed. And I went to every prayer thing along the way, but deep down inside wondering, and hey, does anybody really get it? And then there was this moment, in the, even in the Psalms, where I realized God's been in it with me the whole time. He's been in the valley of the shadow of death, and he gets me because he knows everything about me. Secondly, I am fully seen and pursued. This is beautiful. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Fully seen. 
Nowhere you can go. Fully pursued. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. It's, a, it's, it's like you can't, there's no, nowhere you can go, nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to escape the presence of this father. There's no orphan thought of covering up your mess, trying to look better than you are, covering up your sin that you can get away from. It's, it's like when I, when, I, when I read this passage, it's like the little kid, you know, the toddler that's playing hide and go seek with the parent and they think they're hidden. You know what I mean? And they're like behind a bottle that's like, you know, like less than their size. And they're like, <laughs> and like 95% of their body's like hanging out of the back of the kitchen and they're, they're like hiding. And you're like, nice job, Timmy. Um, and you're, I mean, it's, it's the way God, God, God's looking and he sees everything that we're doing. And he's not, there's nothing that's pushing him away. There's nothing that he's looking at thinking this is too much for me. He sees it all. I mean, we live in a tech, technological world where, the, where everybody sees everything almost, right? It's like there's cameras everywhere. I mean, it's like George Orwell's 1984 on everybody's front door with the ring camera. You know, big brother is watching, you know? It's crazy. But God, even more than that, he sees it all. He sees it all. It's amazing. But you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily lo- love the ring. Like when I, when I think about God seeing everything, do I really want that? Like that's a, that's a scary thought in some ways, right? That he knows everything, that he sees everything. Why is that? You know, what is it about that, that idea? I mean, we, I, don't, I don't like, I don't necessarily like the ring. Like people at my house don't like it. I see, I'll, I'll watch it. That's probably why they, they don't like it. They know Derek's at home going, who is that? You know, and they see, everybody's like, you know, like that. Eric always looks at it and goes, you know, I'm like, thank you, you know, or he'll just trigger it just for fun to drive me crazy. Um, but, but it's, it is, it's one of those things. And it's, it's not perfect, by the way. Somebody tried to get one over on me and almost did because they avoid, they knew how to, like the ring only covers like 180, you know, several, several months ago, some of you were here. I talked about a rooster um, and that one of my family members attempted to murder it. Um, they shot it, but it lived 50 cent, you know, it's got a battle wound, you know, he's gangsta. Um, and, uh, he was keeping us up late. I mean, you know, uh, and so somebody in this church, I won't mention any names, thought it would be funny to throw a live rooster in my backyard here in Jack's Beach. Yeah, no, this is a true story. Um, and I thought, "Mm, nice try. I have a ring cam. (laughs) Um, and then I checked it, and they were too smart, they thought, for me. They went around the back, apparently, and dropped it over by my neighbor's yard into the yard. But they left some feed so I could feed the rooster, as if I would, and right in front of my house. Unfortunately, the envelope smelled like essential oil from some granola shop. And I thought, ha, <laughs> there's only a few of these people that live in my neighborhood that have chickens and smell like granolas. I got gotcha. you. I figured it out. 
I won't mention any names, Addisons, but uh, thank you for the rooster. We appreciate it. He was tasty. Um, so, oh, sorry. I am very, very sorry. But why don't we, why don't we like the ring cam? Like, why, are, why, why is the idea of cameras everywhere and being seen? Because we, we have a, an element of our lives that we want to keep secret. We have things that we want to cover up. We have things that we, we, we have a, the, the, the us we present to the world on Instagram. And then we have the us where we can let our hair down. And, and there's only a few of those people on planet earth that we feel that way with. And what David's saying is amazing about his heavenly father, the king. And I'm the, I'm the, I'm the son of the king. I am Prince David. He's saying, I can let my hair down. There's no judgment. There's only correction to move me towards life. God's not here with punitive damages. David's even prophetically speaking to us through this psalm to say, God's going to come. And guess what? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus paid it all, there is no condemnation for me. So I can let my hair down in front of my heavenly father. I can lay all of my requests before God. I can lay all of my brokenness. I can be my, my true self and allow God to begin to heal me. doesn't mean we just go, hey, I can just sin all I want to. No, God will meet you right where you are, but he won't leave you there because he loves you that much. So it's so powerful what he's putting on display here that even in the darkest places he's gonna go, there's no place that you can go. He's not saying, Derek, we can't go there. You're not my son. No, he'll go anywhere. Even the dark places he lights up and redeems. Number three, I was made with wonder and purpose. This is amazing. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Just looking at conception to birth and the miracle of going from single cell to conception to five weeks. Me and Gerald have talked about this, like the amazing nature of following and the trajectory of life and the, the heartbeat and how all that goes down. It's hard to deny that there's an intelligent creator and, and look and see how life forms, human life. It is unbelievable. And there's still things that, even with our technological advances, that we, we don't even understand how they happen, like the initiation of the heartbeat. And there could be doctors in here that could argue with me, but I've had other doctors in here that said, you're right, we really don't know how the heart starts beating. I mean, we can kind of try to figure it out. But to go from no heartbeat, no life, no electrical current to beat little heart is unbelievable. Where does it come from? How does it happen? God, only God initiates that. And David's saying, this is amazing. He says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know them extraordinarily well. This is some kind of wonderful. And I'll just say this, because I think sometimes we think, well, I don't feel, feel fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, I see, I know that there's people that walk on planet earth with, with difficulty and with struggle that, that they, they were born just different, a different way. The world sees them as deficient. Why is that okay? And I can tell you, I don't have the answers to all of the, all of the things in terms of who God is and how he works and how he operates. 
but I can tell you that he's not finished. When we think about who we are and how we suffer on this side of heaven and how there's people that you see God extends grace to. There's a, a little girl that can surf her life away and she's, she, she looks pretty and she's got all the stuff. And then you look over here and there's a, a kid that's born with, with horrible autism, nonverbal. And I'm talking of somebody that I know that years ago was born to a family. And you wonder, what, why? Why is this this situation? And this girl was born to parents that were not believers, wondering what in the world? Our life is completely different and their life has been completely different. Now that child is an adult, still lives with them. There was a, a picture that Beth just saw recently of them wheeling her in her wheelchair, still nonverbal, completely dependent on her parents. But Beth said, man, what, what an amazing, look at the smile on the parents. And then as you continue to read on their Facebook, they've become Christians as a result of not despite, as a result of the beauty and love and grace that their child has shown them and God's shown them through their child, which I don't even understand, but I will be the first one in line to ask God when I get there. But there was two people that had, had no shot with God that are now we're, we're gonna see in heaven because of that girl. And you know what? Philippians says, look, we're fearful, or we're... <coughs> Psalm says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Philippians says God's going to carry everything. All these things he's working for good and he's going to carry it to completion in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Fearfully and wonderfully made and I'm not done yet. He's not done. He's not done. You're not here. You're not an accident. There's no planning or non-planning that your parent has done that has any bearing on your identity and why you're here. I mean, scripture right here in verse 15 says, your frame, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. It didn't matter what your parents were thinking. You, you weren't even a twinkle in your mama's eye. God knew who you were gonna be. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If you're wondering if you were an accident, maybe that's the way you feel. Maybe that's the way you process you know, your situation and your parents. Maybe that's, that's what you think. It's not even close. I mean, your parents can take some credit in, in raising you or maybe take some of the brunt for not. But I can tell you who fearfully and wonderfully made you, who thought out how you would be framed up, thought about your personality before you ever were conceived. God did. God did. It makes me think, because I, I don't know if you've ever gotten insecure about your personality or the way that you operate. I have. I mean, I've thought, well, you know, why, why am I so loud and why do I talk so much? Stop it. I've told myself to stop it so many times and I can't. Um, I, I got in so much trouble in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I got spanked every day, every day. And we, I don't know if you know this. I'm older. You could beat a child in school. Don't know if that's good or bad, or we should bring all that back. But I got whooped every day with a paddle that said heat for the seat, had holes in it for aerodynamics. And then back in my day, you got paddled at school and they dropped you off and said, we just had, we had, he was talking, we had to paddle him again. And what's going to happen? Dad's going, you got paddled at school, go home, you're getting paddled. I got paddled twice. 
And you wonder, like, why? I'm, why? And, and I was so curious. I was just like a squirrel. I mean, I was just everywhere, always in trouble. Curious and loud. Could not, my kids still say, you know, can you, like, I wake up in the morning, I don't just loud. And why? And now look at my life. I get, to, I get to be loud and curious. I get to devour the Bible. I'm so curious, and there's so many pages. I mean, it's amazing. What purpose? It's like you, God knew. I'm going to do this with him. Don't put him over there. It's going to annoy people. Put him out here. Maybe you're, you're, what, what you've gone through, what, what, where you've been. Maybe you've wondered, what is my gift? What is, I can tell you God knows, and you were made fearfully and wonderfully and with a purpose. Maybe the, the disaster of your story is the very thing that you're going to be able to leverage for the glory of God in the future. You're going to be able to take the things that seem so broken, even the sins against you, you're going to be able to minister maybe to somebody in this church. It's happened before. People that have walked through cancer, people that have walked through abuse, people that have walked through divorce have ministered to, spoken life over, divorced people, people that have had family members die of cancer, people that have been abused. And part of God's redemptive plan was the church and the people in the church that had walked through brokenness. And before the dawn of time, God knew where these people would be and what the trajectory of their life would be. And here's how God was gonna get glory in and through it. Because this really isn't about you being so self-important. This is about the glory of God at the end of the day. Number four, I am thought of continually. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And just thinks, when you think about that, all of us, God knows us, like individually, like that idea that, that God loves us all, but I'm his favorite. That's true. And I don't even know how that works, but his thoughts about me. When I wake, I am still with you. I just love this because we all understand what it's like to be thought of and how, how, how important that's wired into the way that God's made us that someone other than ourselves is thinking about us. You know, I went out to uh, eat the other night, went to Casa Marina, hadn't been there, I don't know why, in years. One of the best views in Jack's Beach, the weather was super nice. And I was sitting out there, just the water's green right now because we haven't had tons of waves. And it's like, it was beautiful. And I just thought, oh, you know what would make this amazing? Some good service. Because um, that's probably why I hadn't been there in years. Um, and there's like one dude out there and he's just sweating and he's just barely surviving and he hasn't seen us. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen tonight. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of what happens. Sometimes you go to a restaurant and that's what's happening. It's like, they're just trying to get to their end of their shift where they can go get a drink with their buddy and go, this job's terrible. Right. And that's the person that's supposed to come to you and serve you and make you feel like this is a great date night. Right. I was watching this show on cooking and restaurants, and um, they were featuring this, this three-star, and I know in your world, because we look at things as five stars on Yelp, three-star in a Michelin restaurant rating is as high as you can go. It's like world-renowned, it's top, top of the food chain in terms of, there's this restaurant in New York, um, there's a waiting list, sometimes it's two years long. I mean, that is some crazy talk. So people spend portions of their salary to be able to go there. It is, there's 300 employees at this place, and it's like, the, the, the way that they organize and they, they set everything up, it is, I mean, they, they organize everything. 
But there is, this is not survival. These people are thriving. They can't wait. They get their whole staff together. They have people on staff that are there just to do research on the, the people on the waiting list. Because it's, there's a waiting list, they look them up. They stalk them on Facebook. They find out what they're like, what they, what, 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 what what they dig, what they dislike, and they give all that information to the multiple servers that are happening at each table, to the chef that's preparing their meal, and they craft it custom for them. Unbelievable. They even have listeners in, in the restaurant. They're like listening for chatter and like, hey, I walked by the table and they were talking about X, Y, Z. I think this guy likes pizza from that place down the road. He says it's the stuff that just absolutely gets him fired up. He likes it more than anything. He prefers that over a fancy restaurant. And there'll be a guy running down the road, going to the thing, going, oh, we're going to order that. Brings it back to the chef and he makes like a small like miniature meal and brings it to the table. And they say before they even set all the, whole, the thing up, we're going to blow their mind. That's, they, they, they say it over and over again. This couple right here, is a, they're both teachers. They could never afford to come here, but they saved their money. She's always wanted to go to a three-star Michelin restaurant, and they're coming. And we've been, we're going to prepare this. This is how we're going to do it. And they're not paying. Like these people saved all their money and their teachers, and they're like, we're going to blow their mind. Thoughtful. Thinking of. And that makes me think of, of God. Like when we think God's not up there just surviving, getting to the end of it with you. He's so excited about what he's getting ready to serve you, what he's going to give you. Because he's a king that did not come to be served. He came to serve. And what an amazing framing to think of when we think we want to be thought of. We want to be thought of. And guys, we, we, we try you get to a certain point, it's like date night. My daughter was asking the other day, she's like, dad, are you too? Oh, y'all are going out on date night? Has dad got a big plan? And then Beth's looking at me like, I'm like, what do you want to do? You know, thoughtful, thoughtful. God is on it. He's on it. And at the end of the day, he gets to blow your mind with how he cares about you. And you know what it does? It ultimately gives him glory, which is is what, what, he's, what we're here for, but it's so good for us. And we're the recipients of, of how God receives glory. It's amazing. Number five, when I'm loved like this, these five and six real quickly are just reactionary and then we'll be done. They're like, he, these first four, that he knows us, that he pursues us, that we have this amazing purpose, that we were, we were woven together in our mother's womb by God and he's given us this unbelievable person and he thinks about us constantly in the way that he loves us. Well, when, when you have people that understand that, when you have children and not orphans that understand that, this is what they do. When I am loved like this, I am fiercely loyal. And this seems out of place, but now it doesn't in my mind. He says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. <laughs> Away from me, you bloodthirsty. So we went from woven together in mother's womb to slay the wicked. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. I mean, it's very abrupt, isn't it? When you read the Psalm, it's all this beautiful, wonderful stuff. And then, slay the wicked! But when I'm loved like this, I'm fiercely loyal. Can you imagine if when your dad's this way and somebody's talking smack about dad, I'm coming for you. I'm taking the boots to you. I'm coming for you. It doesn't mean that God is condoning the violence. It's just reactionary of a child 
that absolutely adores his dad. Because if you talk about my dad, I'm coming for you. It's not going to go well. But again, part of this is descriptive and not prescriptive. Because what do we see? We see that David wants to slay the wicked. Peter was like, I want to, hey, if they come against you, Jesus, I'm going to kill them. And what does Jesus say? No, love your enemies. Lay down your sword. He has a different way of doing things. But it doesn't mean that there aren't any enemies. But look where we land. It's amazing. Number six is, I can ask him. Because of who he is, because of all these things that I've described in this beautiful song, this beautiful letter that says, I am not an orphan, but I am a child of God. I can ask him anything and he's safe. He is not going to ever use any of these things against me. Humans will do that. They will find out things about you and they'll use it against you. Just like, you know, NFL teams use the injury report against other teams. Find out somebody's weakness and guess what? People around you will talk about you behind your back. They will use it to get up the corporate ladder or get in the right friend group. But God, he is safe and you can bear your heart. You can lay your heart before him. He says, search my heart, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David's saying, I'll take my weakness and I will lay it at his feet. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. David's saying, hey, I've got a way that I live life and the way that I think, but I don't think I'm always right. See if there's any offensive way in me. Maybe I'm not supposed to slay these people. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not your plan. So he lays all of his plans before God. He, lays his, he says his heart before God. Everything that, that he holds dear we clench our fists around the things that we think rescue us, we, they, they, our identity, the things we think make us who we are, our successes, the things that we think have destroyed us, our failures, and we hold them in our hands. And we're ashamed of them or we're proud of them. And David says, nope, I'm gonna lay that all before God and let him decide. If it's offensive, he wants him to, God to wash it away. If it's worthy, he's saying, Show me what to do with it, how to use it, how to leverage it for your love, for your kingdom. What an amazing, amazing rearranging, tone-setting thing to have in our mind that you are no longer an orphan, but you're a child of the king. It changes who we are. You know, God says to us, look, you guys, he says this in Luke. He says, you give good gifts to your children, yet you're evil. You're sinful, you're broken. How much more will your heavenly father give to those who ask? How much more will I give you the spirit? How much more will I give you what you need? I am a better, more perfect father. You know, orphans, they don't wanna ask for anything. But children of the king, they ask for everything and the king loves it. So ask so ask. Maybe your disbelief or your lack of trust is because you haven't come before him and asked. Certainly he knows. Yes, he knows. But the, but the amazing thing is when you bring your heart to him and you ask, it's his joy to give. It's his joy to respond. It's his joy to lead you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love who you are. We love what you do for us. We love that you never give up on us. That even in the darkest 
places that we've been, you've been there. You've been pursuing us. You've been coming relentlessly to find us. In the brokenness, when we felt shame, when we felt alone, God, by the power of your spirit, you're revealing to us even now that we've never been alone and that you've taken shame to the grave. God, I just pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you begin to heal people in this room. That where there was misery, that joy will begin, begin to rise. Just come, Holy Spirit. God, that we might be transformed and walk out of here completely different than the way that we walked in. Just come. Come.